So I wanted to invite someone onto the podcast this time that is a technical person with a long-standing career but who isn't tied to a particular company and isn't in a position of seniority but is very much boots on the ground and just have a discussion about purple teaming and just sort of see see what comes out of the conversation. So I invited John Moore onto the podcast. He's got 20 years experience. I'll let him introduce himself because he'll do himself a lot more justice than, than I can do. But yeah, he's great. He's interesting. And uh, I think it turned out to be a great discussion. My name is John Moore. I'm a network security professional. I've been in the industry for coming up to 30 years, honestly, and uh, really, really focusing on uh, the security and network security side of things for the past 10 years or so. Wow, 30 years. Jesus, that's a long time. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, I, I got I got into computers at a really, really early age. I remember with like some Commodore 64 things and uh, getting hooked on some programming with that. Wow. So you've been in security before it was security. <laughs> when it was in, in a way, practice. in a way. Yeah, it's always it's always caught my eye. It's always had my attention. I remember it was a it was a little game it was a commodore 64 game and it was in some kind of magazine and you just kind of literally copied the code out of the magazine and then you kind of had fun with it and whatever but then i would go back into the code and i would change things around and i would basically kind of hack the game and kind of give myself invulnerability or or you know get rid of the collision detection and stuff like that there's a lot of people that have got a an interest in hacking and it's come from computer games which is great and it makes me wish that i took lara croft more seriously when i was younger (laughs) (laughs) i yeah i used to have um an Atari, I don't know the numbers of it, but I used to have an Atari and I used to play a game called Titus the Fox. I don't know if you ever came across that. Oof, nope, not ringing a bell off the top. Like, that was seriously early 90s. And <laughs> then a Sega Mega Drive and I got really obsessed with the game Toe Jam and Earl. Oh, yes. Do you know that one? It rings a bell, yes. It's been um, a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It's like these weird little blobs that, one around drinking root beer and it's just really really strange game to play as a child but hey ho what's your um within that 30 years what's been your experience um in purple teaming like has it been called purple teaming or (laughs) no i mean i've i've not heard of the term purple team until probably within this past year or so um and it seems that you know, kind of my my life's experiences almost kind of tend towards it. Um, most of my professional career has been essentially blue team ish. It's been product support, so I've been supporting um, the, the the firewall administrators with their firewall products, and in so doing, kind of you know, I've seen every mistake in the book. As the, as the saying would go. Um, and, on, and then on the flip side, I've always had that kind of hacker mentality and that kind of attack and break fix. Putting these two kind of sides together, I never really kind of thought of it that way. But, you know, with this new kind of introduction with this, you know, the, the blue team and the defenders uh, and then the red team stuff, you know, kind of purple teams right in the middle, right in the perfect middle between them. And so kind of it's it's this kind of like a little nice little perfect marriage of everything I've 
seen and done and everything I'm interested in. So like one of the ideas that, it, uh, that, that really kind of, I think, uh, maybe in my mind anyways, highlights the idea of what purple sec, purple security, purple team um, kind of highlights is this idea that, you know, red and blue, both sides have something to teach and learn from each other. And when we think of like a, a, a capture the flag or a hack the box or, or some kind of red team engagement, right? If we, one of the first things we do is is like an nmap or a port scan on the blue team side of things you know we can learn from that and and adapt right so the current and and i i want to say it's like a 30 year old and probably even older um mindset is to only respond to ports that you're using Right, so on the red team, as an attacker, I know that when I do my nmap scan and I see these ports open, these are the only things that are relevant to me. On the blue side, and kind of kind of coming back a little bit to that purple, is how can I use that to attack or defend, or you know, maybe in my mind, the way I'm putting, I'm thinking of it as trolling the hackers, <laughs> right? So right, so instead of only responding to these dozen or so ports that are really relevant you know there's over 65,000 of them respond to all of them leaving in a sense canary tokens while you analyze what they're doing exactly exactly and then I and then on here myself I've kind of implemented that uh at home as well and you know and it goes back and forth like that so and then if we think of uh so not just responding to those right when we think of uh like a TCP connection we've got our sin synac and ack the next packet in that uh series needs to come from the client telling the server what it is the client's looking for right on the server side of things or on the defender side how can we further troll them and the answer is just kind of give them everything they want. This is really interesting. So you're the first person I've spoken to on this podcast that's got a really different perception of purple teaming, which is awesome and makes for a great conversation. I like to do purple teaming really transparent and have everyone in the same room and have almost like a brief, an adversary emulation brief to to play against and have... Mm -hmm the red teamers um, and mm -hmm. identifying blind spots that way. But you're talking about doing it in more of a gamification kind of way, <laughs> essentially trolling, as you say, um, and sort of, I don't know, really making a point of keeping it a secret, keeping your cards close to you and, and doing it that way, which is really interesting. Um, but I, I've not done I've not done purple team in that way. I've done red team exercises, responded to red team exercises from a blue teamer's point of view that way. But I always mm -hmm. find that blue teamers are inundated with, in my experience when it's been gamified, but always inundated with business as usual tasks. You've mm -hmm. always got projects that you have to work on as well, unless you're in a really silent, unless you're in a huge company that can afford to silo everyone, then you you're responding to alerts. And then if there's something you know it's the red team, you tend to ignore it because you know it's safe. Essentially, in my experience, gamification has worked great for upskilling the red team, but it's been a just noise for the blue team. So, mm -hmm. how do you suggest people get around that? Well, and that's and that's and I I, I don't know. Honestly, simply put, I have no idea. I mean, it it almost comes back to this, to, to that, to the original, and I want to say, I know it's definitely over 30 years old, that old school mentality of only responding to ports that you're using, right? And if you think of how ingrained that mentality is, 
and then just the further security mentalities. I think it's, you know, there's no simple answer to this. My thought process isn't so much like a, a purple team, like a one-time engagement, but more of almost like just a, an architectural way of thinking. Right. So when you're yeah. setting things up, right, you don't want to see these are things that you want to. I mean, some of these things that I've done are really, really super, super simple and they can be set up in, you know, like a day. Um, but the idea is that you're setting this up and you're you're architecting your whole network and solution around this kind of almost like this trolling idea. Yeah, with honey nets and honey pots and various other yep. bits and bobs yeah no I love that I think it's great and I think with that it's a great way of upskilling your blue team if they can then if they then have the opportunity to analyze the output so like the one of the really funny things that I've seen uh as a result of setting this up um like I've got all I've got a you know firewall and all kinds of alerting set up and I used to get all kinds of alert of alerts of, um, for example, China and Russia doing whatever, right? Uh, doing port scans, connecting to uh, various ports. I have an SSH honeypot. They're doing SSH connections and so on. Um, but comically enough, as the weeks and months passed, those have hugely dropped off. And now, like I go, I go months and months without seeing any kind of uh, attack or activity from you know, China and Russia, for example. It's almost like they're kind of detecting or seeing that my IP address is wrong. It's not right. It's not acting right. Um, so it almost seems like I get blacklisted or <laughs> ignored as a result. You get blacklisted by the hackers. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. On your LinkedIn profile, it says construction subcontractor. <laughs> Tell me yeah. about this. That's interesting. If you don't mind, you don't have to. Yeah, I'm sure so thing. not I mean, handy it's... at all. So as soon as <laughs> someone's good with anything to do with construction or maintenance, I'm like, educate me, please. <laughs> so it was uh, it was a turn of fate. Um, if you look to my pre immediately previous uh, experience, it was at Dell. Yeah. Um, and then we got laid off. Everybody got laid off. Uh, it was right at the start of that 2008 um, economic downturn. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Um, so I got laid off and then here uh, our, our government put on, um, they called it a second career program. And the idea was that like, you know, there was so, so many people that got laid off. And then the idea was that, you know, okay, you got laid off from your current career. We will fund you we will pay for your school and your tuition uh some living expenses and so on to put you back to school to take this second career construction it was advanced housing so it's like all uh, building green eco-friendly homes if you really try hard and you look for it you can find um uh, transferable skills in really absolutely everything you do and a good example is like doing this, right? I got really in with all the construction I did, I got to passing along a lot of cable, a lot of wiring for your electrical and and the and all your networking and stuff. So that kind of translated to some really good skills when I've had to network and cable out, you know, a, a server rack, for example. Yeah. And then just kind of that spatial awareness and, and so on. You know, if you really look for it, you got transferable skills on on anything. I really like the fact that you're pointing out 
transferable skills I think there's such a deficit of cybersecurity professionals in the world and yet we've got so many people with such interesting skill sets that work in completely seemingly completely unrelated fields specifically like in the military even if they don't come from a technical background um, there's almost a security mindset that can be applied especially when put into a corporate environment let's say that there's someone listening to this right now and they're you know in a similar position they they work at a vendor or wherever um in the cyber defense team and they really want to get some experience with purple teaming but there's no buy-in how do how does someone get that buy-in internally i would i would i would say try to prove it out right so for example myself i have a a, a rather extensive home lab um, and you know, and I've proven it out in my home lab. So, and I would, e- I would even encourage you know yourself or even your listeners, if you want, um, run an Nmap scan against uh, my domain, johnmore.duckdns.org. Say that and again, then, just so it's totally clear. Sure thing, johnmore.duckdns.org. Duck is in. Yep. Oh, awesome. Great. Yeah, okay, so J O N. So... Yeah, so J O N M O O R E dot duck d u c k d n s dot org. Um, duck DNS just offers a free uh, dynamic DNS service. Okay. And uh, I mean, run an MMAP scan, right? I would encourage you to try. And if you can and want to, let me know what you think and what you see, um, because I'm going to respond to all sixty-five, <laughs> five hundred and thirty-five port- ports. I'm going to respond to all of them, right? You could try connecting with uh, Telnet. And I, if you can do so now, I encourage you to do that as well. And I'm going to give you a connection. Now, whether or not it's what you want and what you're looking for, eh, but I'm going to give you something. <laughs> you're such a troll. It's great. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, try sending DNS queries to me. What do you, you know, what do you want? I got it. Right? Everything's going to resolve to my uh, public IP. The idea here is that now, now you've proven it out, right? So now you've got these known, right? When you think of like an Nmap scan as a, a pen, as a red team um, tactic, right? It's not like this is some secretive tactic, right? It's not like it's not unheard of or nobody knows what this is or or hackers keep it close to the heart. No, no, this is this is well known. Everybody knows this is step one. Right. So in terms of security and bringing that security awareness internally, you know, obviously you're going to have to start small and, and find your um, your advocates. But you've got it proved out. Show it to them. Right. Show them the Nmap scan and the results. Right. Show them kind of all the little rabbit holes that you send them down and combine that with essentially how little time and effort was really put into it. I really like the idea of... Um adversary emulation trolling (laughs) as a service so looking at an adversary and looking at the the customer and then roping it all together um into something that's meaningful for the customer i really love the idea i think it's hilarious hilarious idea of placing like trolling cards on everything an adversary would go for does that make sense yeah and that's that's really (laughs) that would be hilarious and that's the plan of what I'm trying to work with and trying to accomplish here. And then that way, eventually, I mean, if you try to connect on port 80, you're going to see I obviously have a port, a website there. So there are obviously some ports that are really in use, but good luck identifying them. 
Oh, I think you could do this as a as a service. You should do this as a business. This is a really cheesy ad break. This podcast was brought to you by Pocket Seam, the world's most cost-effective seam service. The adversary emulation stuff, like we will look at specific threat actors, go through their individual TTPs and whether or not they align to the customer environment. And if they do, we'll map them into an attack, attack plan. And then the blue team and the red team, they get that exactly the same um, information and we'll say I'll, I'll say to like Bob Bob I want you to scan this machine in this way and then I'll say Sally blue teamer can you see that yes I can see it can you do anything about it no okay that's a, that's something we need to deal with and then we'll go and deal with it and then we'll come back and we'll do it again and then we evidence to the CISO or whoever um, that well, that capability is now now in-house um, so it's pretty good but I really do like the idea of doing that and leaving trolls. Traditionally, with um, purple teaming, the attack vector doesn't really matter. So whether it came in via a phishing email or a, a drive-by download or someone plugged in the USB or blah, whatever, um, it doesn't really matter. What matters is you just can assume compromise and just work from there. So if you're doing it the way that you um, like to do it, where you just kind of leave calling cards, leave, uh, you know, canary tokens and whatnot about the network. Um, how do you deal with the attack vector? Do you assume compromise or do you just not even... That question didn't even make sense, did it, John? Um, I, I think I see where you're going. I'm not adding um, alcohol. <laughs> um, I, I don't... I don't... My, my thought process doesn't really care how or where you're coming from right right now it's set up you know for my own home lab it's set up to only really troll the outside but with a couple of clicks and a couple of like just simple firewall and natting rules you could easily just as easily troll your internal network as well um in the same kind of fashions so if you yeah. depending on your level of paranoia right setting up uh, an internal trolling like that Right. You just set up the right kind of firewall rule, done. And, you know, also, if you had a honey network, the amount of threat intelligence you could get from that would be kind of immense. Yeah, it's massive. But a lot and a lot of companies have got the resources to do it or they don't recognize the value in it. And what always concerns me about honey nets and honey pots in a corporate environment is let's say that you leave some dummy data on there so that if an attacker gets in your network they aim for that it looks it looks enticing they take it they exfiltrate it out of the environment maybe they paste it on pastebin mm -hmm. and then that gets attributed to you what's your defense then like in the media oh it's fake people will just be like fuck off no it's not you're not looking after our data and you might actually be taking it really serious so i'm quite skeptical about honey nets and honey pots and stuff in corporate environments but that's that's my only reason why yeah that's a good one i don't know uh i don't know how you would handle that um my thoughts would be like a good example would be you know if you if you're giving you know if in your honey net you're setting up some fake social insurance some social insurance numbers or social security numbers right those are pretty reasonably easy to 
to validate, right? You can, if you're worried that your social is on there, you could just look on the list, see the name attributed to it, clearly not you. So there you go, it's not a big problem. And, and there are a number of uh, open source uh, scripts and packages that can do exactly that. They will generate a thousand fake records of names, addresses, socials, phone numbers, and then you can store it in text files or databases. And there you go, right? You know someone's looking for that kind of stuff. So you go give them something fake to look at that may be attributed to you, but then you've got the defense of, you know, this, you know, if you're if you're transparent, right, you tell them the truth. Hey, yeah, we've got to set up a honey net. This is the kind of thing we're doing. Right? Look how fake this data is. Look at it. Right. If you take a look at, for example, some of the uh, uh, documents, right, if they're all lorem ipsum documents, clearly it's pretty fake, regardless of what the title uh, may look like. I don't really think it matters if it's obviously fake or not. I think the brand damage could be irreparable. If you think like Ashley Madison, I'm just picking names out of out of a hat here. If you think of like the Ashley Madison attack. If like a day later they came out and went, oh, don't worry, it's all fake. That's all fake. People would be like, yeah, fuck off. We're not using your, we're not using well, that I, website. I, I, I don't know. I would tend to think maybe not. They might be like, oh, they, that might be their first response. But then, oh, actually take a look at the data. And that's where in the, in, in the end, hopefully, you'll get the good, those good journalists and good bloggers and investigators that really dive into the data. And they're going to be like, yeah. Oh, right. If you think of, absolutely. if you think of, uh, have I been pwned, right, and the service yeah, they fun. offer, right, they're going to take a look at that and just just laugh it off. They're going to fat chance, buddy. No, say. absolutely, I completely agree. But your everyday right? person, and then, and then, like it's the brand damage for the everyday person, isn't then, it? In a way, you're you're doing the reverse to the hackers. Because now the hackers, these hackers clearly don't know that they're releasing bogus fake data. What kind of hacker group is this? <laughs> right? And you're just as equally trolling them, right? And if you've got the right kind of PR and the right kind of um, bloggers and investigators looking into this, you could spin this around and turn it back on them and be like, oh, pff, these Russians, look at this. What is this? <laughs> You know, clearly fake data that they're releasing as uh, as a breach. Come on, boys. <laughs> oh, I love your attitude. I think it's great. Okay. So I, and I and I think and I and, and that's I think part of the challenge of trying to adopt that kind of mentality because, like you said, there's the brand damage, right? But you're trying to troll them, so it's this back and forth of you know blue team versus red team, and you got to find that purple middle ground. Right. And so maybe you don't go all out and you don't give them um, databases, you know, fake databases. But, you know, maybe you just give them a few fake ports and uh, and in the end, you're in control of what data you're giving them. So you don't want to give them that kind of info. Don't give them just fake reports, right? fake financial reports that don't even make sense. Right. In the end, we're not trying to give them data that they're going to seriously investigate. But even if they spend five minutes downloading this fake data and then they open it up and as soon as they realize they open it up and it's fake oh right even if that's five minutes wasted that's that's five minutes you're wasting of their time and the more time you waste and the more hurdles and pain and misery you put in front of them 
eventually they're just going to say, forget this. This is an endless series of rabbit holes moving on. So are you like a massive fan of retribution as well then? How do you feel about that? Like, how do you feel about poking um, the bear, so to speak? Um, the, I would not go the reverse, right? So this is all kind of in a defensive way, right? If we think of like a fortress, right? Yeah. This is all you trying to get into my fortress, right? Yes, I'm putting you into, I'm, I'm redirecting you to a bunch of endless mazes and sandboxes, but you're coming to me. I'm just redirecting you, right? Which was which would be entirely different than me going to you and poking and prodding. Um, I think that starts to get a dangerous game because there's the whole, you know, attribution is a major, major problem. Um, and I mean, as a security professional, professional, I know how simple it is to hide my IP, right? So just because this attack is coming from this IP doesn't mean that IP address is responsible for launching it or, or starting it. So myself, mm-hmm. I don't think I would go so far as to poke back, but hey, you're in my playground. Yeah, I'm going to send you on. I'm going to have fun with you. <laughs> oh, I wonder how many people, um, when this is released, you'll have to tell me how many people Nmap scan your your domain. I, I look, I honestly, I look forward to it. I get notifications every time I get uh, port scanned. And uh, I always, I always investigate them because I want to know, like, oh, you just did, you, you did it. What did you find? You know, what did yeah. you see in those results? Well, it's actually a fantastic way of learning, like, network log analysis as well. So that's actually one of the funny things I've actually managed to uh, discover and kind of find out about some of these attack patterns through these log analysis. So one of the things I have is an SSH honeypot. And it records, it doesn't just record the commands you ran, it records like the keystrokes. Ah. So I can see how fast or slow you typed in that command. And uh, the vast, 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 vast majority um, was clearly, clearly bots. And you could tell they were bots because the command would be pasted in one piece, right? So it clearly wasn't typed in, it was pasted in. And then what they would do is they would uh, run a wget or a curl and try to download a piece of uh, malware. And then they would try to uh, make it executable and then try to run it. But the thing is, is they would paste the commands, right? And then so they'd paste the download command. Then they'd paste the uh, chmod command before the download was even finished. And then now we're trying to run the command, run that executable, and, and we're still waiting for the download to finish in the first place. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hopefully, we'll get a few listeners. <laughs> and, um, I'll speak to you again sometime. Keep, keep in touch. Um, absolutely, Eliza. Thanks for having me here. It was great. Thank you guys for tuning into the Purple Team podcast. That was John Moore. I think you can agree that was a pretty fun discussion. 